Warning! Beyond this point, mascots and members of the mascot community will be getting unsuited. This is the Unsuited Interviews. Hello and welcome back to the Unsuited Interviews. On the line, very excited, a guy who actually got me to read a book. We have David Stogdale, all the way from the Carolinas. David, how are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for having me on. Hey, no problem at all. David, I guess the, the big question is, are you ready to get unsuited? You know it. All right, so let's jump into this. I mean, we are a mascot podcast. We must be interviewing about mascot stuff. So what kind of mascot background do you have? Uh, I have very background, and <clears throat> I've been a pro mascot for almost 20 years now, And the but I'm officially retired. Okay. So what that means is um, I've done some some college, some arena football, some <clears throat> NFL, pro baseball overseas in Japan, and then also the NBA. Um, not to spill the beans too much, but I want to go through the laundry list real quick. I have it in front of me. Of It's kind of a who's who as far as mascots go. I mean, we're talking about Blitz from the Seattle Seahawks, Sly Live from the Hiroshima Carp, Sir Perf yes. from Carolina Panthers, and then Rufus Lynx from the Charlotte Bobcats. I mean, people know those characters. Uh, for the most part, I think if you're if you're any sort of a football fan or a or a basketball fan, hopefully you will recognize some of those names. So let's go all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to your days at Washington State. How did you get into the mascot program? Washington State had such an iconic character in Butch the Cougar, and my sister was actually a cheerleader at Washington State, and so I would go to the games and see her uh, performing and and also saw the mascots jumping around, going crazy. And he was such a a fun, active, interactive mascot that as soon as I saw the character, that was something that I really wanted to do. Something inside me just kind of clicked. And from there, I researched where, where tryouts were and uh, when they were going to happen. And I knew that's something that I really wanted to do. Now, did you get in your first shot? Uh, actually, yes, I did. I was fortunate enough to land the gig after, after my audition. So um, the way that it works at Washington State is there's typically a, your main guy, and then there's an uh, understudy, and then there is an alternate, and the alternate kind of fills in where he can. The, the main guy will do the main football games and the main basketball games. And the under, understudy will will do the main volleyball games and uh, women's basketball and things of that nature. So it's just a way to to bring up the seniority, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So so yeah, it's a it's it was a fun process. So I started on as an understudy for my first year, and then my second year I went on to be the main guy and and the for the main. Um, football games and some of the travel as well. So early on in your, your college career, what kind of things did you learn that kind of help you along in your mascot uh, career? I, I guess things that helped you um, later on in your career. The, I think that one of the main things that helped me or one of the things I learned right away was just interacting in a way that I could get on the level of, of students and I could get on the level of 
children as well. So the the thing that that brought me to to the understanding of working with kids better, uh, which helped me understand to work with students better, to recognize which students are, are easy to approach, which little kids are easy to approach, which ones aren't, and which ones are going to interact with you a little bit more, which ones aren't, and which ones to stay away from if uh, the students have been drinking a little bit too much. And, <laughs> you know, those those scenarios that that you're thrown into as a mascot, you, you learn to navigate. And that was one of the, the biggest things that I took away from that character. So after two years um, at Washington State University, you graduated, and then you move on to Scorch, the Portland Forest Dragons uh, mascot for uh, arena football, right? That's correct. So how'd you how'd that uh, gig come out, come about? That gig, I was um, I was fortunate to to kind of be at the right place at the right time with that particular gig. the The guy that was there before me uh, was from Washington State, and uh, because he went to school there, he wasn't the mascot at Washington State, he was he just went to school there. And so because of that connection, he, he kind of gave me a recommendation or called me in to, um, that I could get an audition. And uh, so, but, was there a difference in type of auditions between what you found in the, the college level and then the next step up, which would be a paying gig in the Arena Football League? With the Arena Football League, um, the the audition was more of them seeing me in costume for the very first time. It wasn't it wasn't once at the game, they saw me and said, OK, well, it was you've got it you're, you're doing okay. I think they just wanted to make sure that, that I could function as a mascot. And so that really, I don't really qualify that as an audition. It was just kind of like, well, we got this guy, the job, you know, that type of scenario. So for that particular gig, I was, I was actually very lucky to be in the right place at the right time. One of the things I like, uh, that's throughout your book is the idea of the show must go on. Um, and I think the first time that that kind of pops in is when uh, your injury uh, as Scorch from uh, jumping off the ATV. Kind of give us a little bit of insight into that. Oh, my gosh. That was the craziest scenario. So I was so excited. I was nervous. And and prior to hopping on to the, the four-wheeler, um, I knew they'd, they'd kind of given me the thumbs up that I, that I could be there. So I didn't want to let anyone down. And the it's just like in the movies when you uh, when the the arena's dark and you're looking out onto the field and then all of a sudden a spotlight pops on and you can hear the audible boom like the spotlight is yep. there and so and then all of a sudden I jammed on the the motor as fast as I could spread sped out to the very center of the field and and stopped well once i jumped off jumped on top of the the four-wheeler trying to get the crowd up and going the thought in my head was like oh maybe i can do a backflip and <laughs> and try and really really wow them but then oh this is then i was like well okay well maybe maybe that may not work out so well and um but then so i just tried to jump as high as i could and then at that point when i landed it just my my ankle folded 
So um, from then, the the adrenaline was running, was pumping so much, I didn't really feel it all that much. But jumped back on the four wheeler, headed out, and then um, I could definitely feel it once I got off the field. And so the I went over to the trainer and they they wrapped my ankle and they and said it wasn't broken but it was swelling up like a huge I would say like a grapefruit it was oh. so big it was crazy so I could barely put weight on it but I knew in the back of my head that the show must go on and so I was trying to figure out a way to what I was going to do if I was going to get crutches or whatever so I just thought in my head that maybe maybe I can just turn this to my advantage. And so I put a little weight on it and waddled a little bit. And then I started trying to put some swagger on it, turned it into a strut. And it was the biggest limp of a strut. <laughs> so, But I looked like a pimp. Yeah, the book, I can quote I, it saying, I, a pimp-like strut. Pimp like strut. That's what it was. And it, and the funny thing is, is not, um, I don't think anyone knew that I, that I had sprained my ankle really, really bad. So, so that's, that was one of the scenarios where I was trying to figure out the best way to, to continue on when just like, just like you said, the, the show must go on. So, so that's the, the, yeah. So after, I mean, what happens? I mean, it's one thing to get through the game, you know, to kind of, um, as some would say, sack up and just get through it. What what happens after the game? I mean, do you ice up? Do you go get it looked at? I mean, what is the next step for guys, you know, when they do get injured like that? The next step, yeah, you got to get it looked at. Got to get it looked at. The um, There's been other injuries that I've had in my career and – and if you don't get the, those those type of things checked out afterwards or right away, um, then it could seriously hinder the rest of your career. So I've experienced um, like a torn meniscus. I've I've broken a hand, um, severely sprained ankle, <laughs> things like that. It's been it's been a, a kind of a crazy ride, but I think that for the most part. Um, compared to your Michael Zarillos or some of the other um, guys that have been in the NBA or other leagues for a long time that have had way worse injuries than me. So I've, I feel like I've been pretty fortunate. One of the things going through your book, you know, you mentioned about taking tumbling lessons, hip hop dance classes, learning American Sign Language, which I think a lot of guys you kind of, you know, we've always preached, you know, keep learning new things, um, improv classes, but then. I got to the part and it kind of made me laugh because I never, I guess I never thought of it this way. And it says, and I'm quoting the book, I was the only adult and the only guy in a class full of little girls ranging from ages six to 12. And this is a tumbling class you took. Yes. And I mean, so it was, yeah. pretty, oh, it was pretty embarrassing <laughs> just because they were all looking at me really weird and they would just giggle. And, and I didn't want to be like the creepy old man in their class but I was and it was like why and uh, I didn't want to be inappropriate and I just didn't want I was hoping that they could help me but I just had to swallow my pride and just just get there and and learn and figure it out and try and 
try and overcome the uh, the embarrassment of of being the only guy in a class of all these giggling um, younger girls. But that class was for the purpose of learning to be, I guess, more eligible or um, for the job with Seattle, the, the Seahawks gig, right? Yes, exactly right. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to set myself apart from the other applicants and the other guys trying to get in. And I knew that a lot of your top tier mascots can do multiple skills, can can create multiple um things that they can do in the costume. So, and I knew tumbling was one of those. And it, I figured if, if I could learn how to tumble, then that could help put me above the rest of the competition. And, and I guess NFL mascot wise, I guess tumbling isn't even something that comes to mind. I mean, I get it for NBA, definitely not NHL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like for, for, um, with Seattle, I guess I don't know that character well enough. Was he an established tumbler? Um, no. So I was the very first person who ever was in that costume, and I helped create that character. So for me, it it, it was I was wearing a, a a muscle suit and a football uniform, so it was very mobile. I wore fo- football cleats and receiver gloves. Uh, along with the head with some muscles and um, little fur wings on the forearms. and But it allowed me to to be flexible enough to and mobile enough to where I could tumble. And I just wanted to bring that extra aspect to that character. So if there was a, a touchdown, I could do a back handspring across, do back handsprings across the, the back of the end zone, or I could... I could do a back tuck, you know, things, things like that. So with, with blitz, what were some things or, you know, some of the characteristics of blitz that did you take any to kind of, cause you said, you know, you're building him. He's, he's brand new. So are there any characters like things from scorch something from, from butch that you're kind of bringing into this character? Yes. One of the main things I wanted to portray was the, just the swagger. And the and the muscles. So both Blitz and Scorch had huge muscles. The Olinko costume muscle suits, and um, Butch didn't have as much as much muscles, but I still pretended that he did. <laughs> so the that's the 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 swagger, the 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 almost pimps pimp strut <laughs> so not as not as uh crazy it was when when i sprained my ankle but i tried to bring the strut and the attitude and the the flexing and that uh persona to seattle as well and how many uh seasons did you do uh blitz for i was blitz for uh four seasons so when you started blitz and then your final season did the costume change anyways um, when I was there, no, it stayed the same the whole time. Uh, after I left, then they, they altered the costume with a, with a new costume maker and I'm not sure who they went with. Um, but our costume was a Linko. Yeah. I, didn't, I mean, I didn't know if there was any design, like you wanted the vision a little bit different, maybe, you know, lighten up the, the muscle suit. I didn't know if there was anything's over time, you kind of start feeling it and you want to make an adjustment to maybe help you out. 
Um, no, I just I I liked what was going on. Maybe as far as I mean, I liked the vision and I liked the mobility of the character. The only thing that I would have changed was maybe adding a little bit more breathability and some more airflow into the beak. <laughs> but um, because it was a rubber beak mm-hmm. and it had it had airflow air holes in the bottom and and a little bit at the top, but it just, there wasn't much besides, besides that. So I would have changed that, but that didn't, um, I didn't have any input on the, the new, uh, direction of the new character. So all the way from blitz with Seattle Seahawks, and then you end up with Sly Lai, who is a complete polar opposite type of character all the way in Japan. How'd that happen? Oh, that I just heard that, that there was an opportunity to go and, and I, I wanted to jump on it right away. The, um, with that character, it was so po- just like you said, polar opposite from Blitz and any of the other characters I'd ever done because of the belly and because of the weight of the costume, the, because Slyly is more of a, is a Harrison Erickson product, yep. uh, very similar to the, the Philly fanatic. So, you're looking out of the the throat versus versus the actual eyes or the mouth, and so that w- it just took a little bit to get used to, um, but but I just heard that people had other pr- mascots had gone over there with mascot experience and and I wanted to jump on that right away because I had no ties I was still young and single and stupid all at the same time. And so that for me, it was an opportunity to go experience um, something new. And then also part of my uh, heritage as well. I'm actually half Japanese. My mom is, is Japanese. Okay. So, I mean, what kind of things did you learn? Because um, obviously, you know, you go from Butch to Scorch to Blitz. And, you know, you got the muscle, you got the swagger. And now you're going into a character it's, um, who's been around a little bit. Um, and it's kind of more of a goofball type character. Um, what kind of things do you learn kind of switching gears into that type of character? The switching gears and was, was essential with that character. So I just tried to learn to be that much bigger. And I tried to learn to be, um, to use different aspects of the costume to make it funny. And, and I tried to use more dance. And um, making those those dance moves as big and as big as I could, so so just the physicality of trying to be bigger was was the main thing of of what I took out from that costume. And that's um you know you mentioned the maker you know Philly fanatic kind of same same vein and that's one of the type of characters where you like you said you see through the neck area, and so you've mm-hmm. done characters where you see through the eyes the mouth um the the neck area do you have a preference the um kind of like honestly i kind of like the eyes the straight eyes the um just because the eyes usually if you're using your eyes it's the eyes are exactly where your eyes are yeah and it's and it's the it is kind of custom built the the peripheral is pretty bad um, when it comes to those scenarios, but at the same time, it's it's kind of cool because because it's so tight to your head and and exactly where your eyes are, 
when you move your head in that exaggerated mo- mo- movement, um, your eyes are, are pinpointed where you need them to be. So I kind of liked I kind of like that. Um, so it's just uh, it was it was interesting to try and uh, get used to another way of looking out the um, the throat. So so from so you did one season right with um, with Hiroshima Carp. Yes. And now you're back in the states, and for some reason you decide to come to Carolina. Yes. <laughs> Um, so what, what brought you to Carolina? Was it the Sir Per gig? It was, yes, it was the gigs. The, when I came back to the, to the States, I auditioned for the Sacramento Kings and I ended up not getting that job, but the guy who got the job was the Carolina Panthers mascot. So, so he left for Sacramento and his job opened up and then I flew out here to audition for this particular job. And he gave me a, a good recommendation, and so that I feel like that helped a little bit. And but that's what brought me out to Carolina. So you spent spent some time with Sir as Sir Purr. Um, you guys, I say you guys, but the the Jaguars and the Panthers came out at the same time. So you know, there's kind of that connection. Um, what kind of things did you do? Because now now you're um, you know you're an, another NFL mascot, but on a different coast. Were you able to take some of your things that you did in Seattle and kind of try to bring them into what the Panthers were doing? Uh, not really. The this this gig was completely different, and the um, so bringing them the the only thing that I really was able to bring was just the um, person trying to bring the personality out of them uh, as a as being a, just a mascot. The but as far as the personality uh, or the characteristics of the character, they they were like completely different. And um, and another thing that was really hard to get used to was the humidity in the South. <laughs> and the because there's no humidity in Seattle, even though it rains a lot, it's there's no humidity whatsoever. So uh, coming out here for that was really really challenging and, and difficult to get used to. But, um, but still, you know, still working on it a little bit, but I think I'm, I'm used to it more now than I was before. So, so I'm going to jump onto page 48. Um, and I'm going to quote a part it says, as I watched in horror, the top of the flag came down directly on the head and face of a top cat. Yes. <laughs> I have. I'm sure people listening. There have been people that have done been in similar situations where you've accidentally run somebody over or smacked them on accident. Um, what What do you do once you do something like that? <laughs> I I screamed in costume, and which obviously you're really not supposed to do. I just apologized profusely. I was, I'm so sorry. Sorry. Are you, I kept on asking, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And, um, and she just held the, her pom pom up against her face and, and she was like, Oh my God. She's like, she's like, no. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm fine. And oh, oh, it was, 
yeah, what do you do? You just, you just, I was just trying to make sure that she was okay. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to the scorch incident where you're running on adrenaline, adrenaline. You're, you think you're okay. You could be okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I never, um, heard from that particular top cat again. So I don't know if, <laughs> if she hates my guts now, but, um, I never got a hospital bill. So I, I like to think that everything turned out okay. I think it was, you know, maybe just a bump or maybe a, some something along those lines. But um, but yeah, never heard anything. So I hope she's doing okay. On that topic, I mean, have you ever gotten into a situation and and in in any of your characters where it's not that you went overboard, but it's just something didn't go right, and you're like, oh no, this I'm I'm fired. I'm done. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, and well, I mean, the, um, the scenario when I, my first game as the, the Carolina Panthers mascot, that, that same one where as soon as I, I, I hit the girl in the head and the top cat in the head, I thought that was it. I thought for sure they're there. What is this guy doing? Why do we bring him over from Seattle? This, this guy's horrible. Why did he, t-? and I thought for sure that was it that was done and then so from from serper it seemed that from reading your book it seemed that nba was the goal that's where you wanted to be yes yeah eventually that's that that was where my ultimate um position that that i wanted to go to just simply because the nba is is sometimes sometimes seen as the pinnacle of the mascot world um i think it just kind of depends on the team but um, in the 90s, there were guys making six figures easily and just pulling in big money. And, and not that money was the ultimate goal, but at the same time, it was um, something to shoot for. So, so, yes, NBA was exactly where I wanted wanted to go to. Now, I mean, like maybe like kids growing up, you know, guys that want to be, you know, football players or something or, you know, I think when I first got into mascotting, like you go, I want to be a fanatic. I want to be the, you know, you start picking these characters, you know, I auditioned for um, the, um, the Tampa Bay Rays gig for Raymond. There's just jobs like, man, I want that job. Was there an NBA gig that you're like, that's, that's a character I really want to go after? Um, no, I just wanted to make it to the NBA. There wasn't one specific one. Now, um, I will say that one of my favorite characters is Squatch from the old Seattle Supersonics. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that guy, that character was one of my favorite characters of all time. So, in a sense, um, if if I had to pick, Squatch would be the one that I would have wanted to go for. But in my head, I was it didn't matter. I just wanted to make it to the NBA. So let's fast forward. Um, after what four seasons with uh, Carolina, you get mm-hmm. the opportunity. We'll, we'll call it a call up. You get a call up to the NBA with the Charlotte Bobcats, new team. That's correct. You know they they were the 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 Hornets. Hornets went away. They went to New Orleans, right? That's correct. And then so yeah, so Charlotte, you know, comes back with another team, and they're the uh, the Bobcats. And here comes Rufus Lynx, which. I, I'm glad you put it in the book that Rufus Lynx is just his uh, scientific name, uh, which is Lynx Rufus. Yes. And I'm like, because I couldn't think of a more Southern name than Rufus for a mascot. <laughs> I was like, that's, that name is yeah. just awesome. 
<laughs> it was it was a little different. I I couldn't figure out why they named it that too until I I read and and on the character read on on did a little research. So yes, it was it was eye opening. So in but you weren't the first. Were you the first of that character? No, I was the second. Okay, so you didn't. Did you get to kind of add some of your own flair when you when you come in? I mean, right out of the gate, you try to kind of replicate what the past performer did, or you just kind of start saying, "This is mine now. Um, let me put my own twist on it." No, I I, t- I put my own twist on it because um, I wanted to to separate myself from the previous performer. Not that he was um, a bad guy, um, but he was let go from the organization. So for me, I wanted to bring bring the new flavor. I wanted to bring something um, new as far as as incorporating dance, incorporating a little bit more tumbling, incorporating a little bit more of the persona of the character versus um, versus strictly a dunker. Okay. Because the other the other guy was more of um, more of just just a dunker and it wasn't as much of a costume character and so I tried to to be that that uh, extra pop of a costume character. Now I don't know. I mean, you guys, all the NBA mascots, everybody kind of seems to be a fraternity, especially the NBA. I mean, is it kind of like is that an unwritten rules? Like, dude, you got to be able to dunk. I mean, you've got to to have this job. You got to be at least be able to do it to some degree. I think it helps. I don't think it's an absolute necessity anymore. It, um, I, at the time I could, but I wasn't, that really wasn't my forte. I really wanted to learn how to do it, but there wasn't, I didn't feel like there was the opportunity to, to quite learn that when I was in Seattle or some of the other places. So, um, so Back in the day, there was there was more emphasis on dunking, but I just didn't didn't have it. But I knew that I wanted to learn. So um, how difficult so yeah, was that? I, it was challenging. It was challenging just just because of the um, the, the limited vision. So when you are um, when you do have the so, some of the the guys have open vision with their with their real eyes Mm -hmm. and they have they have an advantage of doing that well my character had sunglasses so i couldn't a lot of times i couldn't quite see the the same way that those old characters could and so um so that was that was extremely challenging for me and there was a lot of condensation and and fog and and trying to see the tramp but also trying to see the um hoop at the same time was was definitely difficult i i tried doing that in college um in fact i still have the mini trampolines in my garage i don't know why i have it but i have it and yeah i <laughs> nice. found out i uh i suffered uh some pretty nasty injuries trying to learn how to do that because i forgot that you need to also buy the the landing pad or at least a decent size oh, yeah. one and I got yeah. a, I got a cheap thin like one. It was maybe four foot wide, and it turns out if you try to dunk it and hit the rim, you'll kind of squirt off the side, and uh, you oh kind of yeah, and you land on the court on your with your elbow. It's kind of cool because the crowd hears it and they hear that big crack oh. sound. <laughs> I I really thought that dunking like I was going to try because everybody was doing it. You know, it was kind of like the thing. Yeah. Um, I knew I'm not, I'm not a flipper. I can't flip. As soon as I flip, I kind of get dizzy. It's the, I don't know. It's probably just me. Um, 
so yeah, the whole trying to do the mini trampoline dunking, just I tried. I did. I just wasn't any good at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 very, very challenging. And some of uh, and those guys make it look easy. Oh yeah. And it really is it really isn't. You there's a lot of practice that goes into it. Um I I learned that I had to become um stronger in my legs and my core and in order to get higher and I learned that I tried to count my steps from the foul line to the tramp. And, and so it was just, it was, it was interesting. Um, but I think, uh, a lot of those guys, when it was really big, they're, they're for, they grew up gymnasts, they're former gymnasts yeah and they have that, that training and that body awareness. And it really, really helps, with with their ability to do those big stunts and and more power to them they're amazing and the the first rufus he was awesome he, he was really good at it and um and then the guy who does uh hugo and super hugo and those guys are amazing i um i tried but it just didn't quite get to the the level that i wanted it to and but that's okay um i feel like the the dunking thing is 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 kind of on its decline, I guess you could say, um, as far as as demand for for performers to do those type of things. So, I wanted to read. I'm going to read from this, and uh, if you need to take a deep breath, we're going to get into some uh, some dark area real quick. Um, I think it's a nightmare for everybody. Um, looking right here at uh, on your book, uh, page 59. Here it is. The most unthinkable accident for a mascot at any level occurred. I lost my head. Um, so yeah, relive that for us. Ooh, that was that was quite. I, I mean, it was my first NBA game, and so again, the the horror of your first of games. Like that. <laughs> oh, your track dude. record on first games this isn't, isn't very good. <laughs> nope, not so much. But so I think I think the. Um, you know, the phrase that the show must go on, I really had to embrace it because it was continued. Like my first games were continually turning out not, not the best uh, scenarios for me. So I, yeah, jumping, jumping up on that, um, on that phrase is, was, was really what I needed to do. But yeah, I mean, I really wanted to, I think I was just, so nervous and I really wanted to impress people. And, and so I, I wanted to go for that tumble run and, and sprinted straight down the middle of the court and went for my round off. And as my hands placed into the handstand, the, the head just decided to slip off. And then when my body continued on, the head stayed there on the ground. <laughs> and so my body kept on with the, with the, the continuation of the back handspring. And then I, I, even though there was 300 people there <laughs> and it was a preseason game and in the old, uh, Charlotte Coliseum. So absolutely felt like no one was there. I could hear an audible gasp. And from there I was like, Oh no, no. What am I going to do? So I jammed the head back on my head and sprinted off the court and I could barely see cause the neck flap was in my eyes and I, and I thought I was going to die. 
So then I went backstage and the, my assistant and I were, I was freaking out. I was like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I just lost my head. Uh, this, this is awful. This is awful. And he, him and I kind of came up with, uh, the, the idea of getting, um, talking to a trainer and getting athletic tape. And it, while I was waiting for the athletic tape, the, you know, I could, the, the game ops people were calling me rookie and <laughs> razzing me about losing my head. But, um, finally my assistant comes back and then we wrap athletic tape all over my head, under my arms, around my waist, <laughs> up over my, my arms again, underneath and over my head to where my head was visibly strapped down to the rest of my body. And I could, I could hold my hand up and still wave and you could still see parts of the orange, uh, through the tape and you could still see the, the head. And, um, so then I walked back out on the court and made a lap wave into people. And, and so I, that was my way of redeeming myself. <laughs> and, um, and just, I could, I could hear laughter and they're like, Oh, that's funny. That's funny. So, um, so I felt like at least, it's, um, I could save at least a little bit of face there. How, uh, how is that head secured? So that, that head was at, the previous head was a, um, it, it wasn't, it, it was just a, a strap with some foam inside of the head. It wasn't necessarily a helmet. And, um, and it wasn't designed for me. It was designed for the previous performer, so it didn't quite fit as well. And that was one of the things that I that I brought to the new head was was a um, was a hockey helmet. And the hockey helmet for me fit a lot better than just foam and a headband and a chin strap. So yeah, so minus um, some of your opening night <laughs> debacles. What are some career, what are some of your career highlights? Career highlights. Uh, um, one of the biggest ones was just going to the Super Bowl, and I was because I was Serpa in two thousand three, and I, so I was there in uh, in Houston versus the the Patriots. So just being a part of that entire day was just amazing. Uh, even though the Panthers ended up losing that particular game and, um, our team owner was going to buy rings for every single full-time employee. And so if it weren't for the Patriots, I'd have a ring right now. And, um, but just being a part of that day was just, it was just cool. Now, Kind of going back into like you know your your Rufus stuff because that that's where you spent the 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 majority of your career is that that fair to say? Yes, yes. Um, I was there nine, nine nine seasons. That's right. And um and that came to an end because the team switched, right? Yes. So they kind of they decided to go back to being the um the Hornets. That's correct. So in how it worked was that the um. The New Orleans Hornets, they wanted to, they sold their team and they wanted to change their name to something local to New Orleans. And their owner was, their new owner was Tom Benson, the owner of the Saints. 
And so he decided to name the team the Pelicans that because the state bird is a pelican. And so that's how they got the, the, the name down there. And that's what freed up the Hornets name. And here there was a grassroots movement to get the name back. And then that's how we were able to access it. And then from there, um, we, we had one more season with the Bobcats and I retired from there and moved over to community relations or what we now call uh, CSR or corporate social responsibility is the name of our department. Okay. So yeah, it's so, interesting, but <laughs> I guess, and, and, and this is something that we get a lot of uh, messages. Um, I've, I've spoke on this topic during our podcast a lot is, uh, when I mean, when to know when your time's up, when when it's when you're done, you know, as a mascot, when it's time to, you know, hang it up um, or, you know, is it is there still gas in the tank um, for you? Did you kind of have a feeling you knew that, you know, your time was kind of winding down? I mean, what what was going through your head, you know, when you got le- uh, later into your career? I did. I, I felt like I had taken that character as far as I could. That um, so I knew that that either changing careers or or just moving into something different with the team was something that I wanted to do. Um, my originally at that time I was going to go back into teaching, and I was going to try and you know start my own mascot business and you know what have you, but. Um, Luckily, the the team actually approached me and wanted to see if I could, if I wanted to run their literacy program. And for me, being a, I'm a former teacher as well, and this was a chance to do the have the best of both worlds. And for so that's that's where I knew I could transition into into doing something uh, that benefited both of my former uh, careers. So let's let's talk strictly about the book now. Um, Belayed Gratification, uh, Waiting Until the Fur Flies Your Way, a Mascot Memoir. Holy crap, that's a long title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little ridiculous. But. No, I love it. Um, and this this book's available on Amazon. I mean, you can go right now and get it. You got it. If you're listening, get it now because there are only four copies left in stock, but they say more is on the way. So why not get one of those four copies? Um, I Like I said before, I joke about it, but I'm just not much of a book reader, but I literally couldn't stop reading this. It felt really close to home on a lot of your topics, on a lot of the stories. I mean, it's like, man, I've... I almost feel like I was there with you because I think a lot of guys, and, and if you read this, I think you'll feel the same way too. You're like, oh, I've, I've been in similar situations, maybe at a smaller level, but maybe in the same kind of situations. So I guess the, the question is, why why write a book? What what kind of popped into your head and said, I got to get this on paper? The, the, the main thing was that um, it's when you deal with, with people who – who do what we do or that don't understand what we do. It's like, you can't talk shop with them. They don't get it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so part of this was, was for that demographic. Part of this was so they could, they could get it. And I knew that, that no matter what level they would understand, because, because 
you have that kinship with people, even if you you don't know them. You're you've been a mascot, then you can. Oh yeah, yeah, I recognize and and I can feel your pain. And um, so part of the reason was was to write it for my daughter, and and then also for mascots as well. And and I agree. I mean, that's kind of the exact reason our podcast uh, exists. It's to talk shop. It's to talk about things that you know. Like they're they're the locker room stories. Some of the most fun I've ever had is just being in a locker room with other mascots and just you know it's almost like horror stories, like war stories. You know, you hear yes. you know, some people you hear like, man, that really happened. But at the end of the day, you, you don't feel in isolation because I think as an industry, and you know, and you kind of touched on it earlier, it's kind of that unwritten rule to kind of you know hide who you are. Um. And it almost it becomes isolating, so it's hard to talk to people about those problems or the things you run into. And you know, it's it's amazing when you you know how you know it's it's like reading this book. It's it's it was great to see that other people have gone through similar situations. You know, no matter how bad or good they are, and I think that's why this book I think is a is is a home run for anybody who's performing currently or just start. You know, is thinking about either hanging it up um i think that kind of that's that's been kind of a hot topic lately i think a lot of the guys are just not sure they want to keep doing it um mm-hmm. but i mean what would i mean what would you say to guy a, a locker room full of guys you know or girls or people in the industry who aren't necessarily sure um if 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 it's the worth the risk or worth that to keep fighting for that pro gig well that's that is what Again, just like you had said, that, that's kind of one of the things that I wanted to impress as well is that that the the play on words with the title is you know belayed delayed gratification. So eventually, after auditioning for um, for for different teams and not not getting it or waiting, honestly, it took me ten years to get to the NBA. Waiting ten years that if you have patience and if you continue to work hard and continue to build your skills, that's one of the things too. If you can build your skills um, to try and beat out the rest of your competition, eventually, hopefully, you know, like the title, the fur will fly your, fly your way. And the, another part of the title is, is because it's delayed. I feel like, currently I have the best job in the world. So I had to go, I feel like I had to go through a lot of that, a lot of those auditions and a lot of those heartaches in order to get where I am today. And it's kind of like putting in your dues. And eventually if you have patience and if you work hard enough, then, then however cliche that really sounds that, that maybe it'll, it'll come out for you. I agree. Um, so one of the other reasons for the podcast is, you know, tips, tricks, some things to kind of get people, you know, you know, that one step up, uh, up on competition, um, if they're looking for, you know, a position. So let's do five tips or tricks, um, or tr- maybe just, you know, harsh truths about the industry. Um, and you can do them in any particular order. You can go from best to worst, you know, the most important to least important or the other way around. It's, I'll let you kind of dictate, but, um, how about five tips or tricks or truths? Five truths. Um, so number five, I think would probably 
reiterate some of the, the, the things I just said was put in your dues. I think that is, is be willing to, to, um, put in the work that eventually, eventually you may be able to make it. If you are trying to gain your skills, eventually once, once you can build your repertoire that, if you have patience and you put in that work, then you can get there by putting in your dues. So that was kind of number five. Um, number four would be to go where the gig is. So if you, um, a lot of times people want to try and get their, get a job within their city. And a lot of times that's very challenging and hard to do. If, um, so when you're trying to build your resume, a lot of times you may have to go work in in Iowa or not that there's anything wrong with Iowa, but oh, there is. It may, <laughs> so <laughs> you may have to go work for a a um, a minor league team that you've never heard of in your life, and go there and and sweat it out and work it, work those those games and and put in your dues there in order to build your resume, get, gain the contacts and then try and then wait for another opening and try to go to that, that location. So going where the gig would be probably number four. Um, number three for me would be build your skills. So one of the, the aspects of building your skills is I used to watch um, Actors Access. Do you remember that show from back in the day? I think so, yeah. James Lipton? Yes. And Yes, so... Will Farrow does an amazing impression of, of, of that character. It's awesome. So one of the um, interviews that I saw was with Jamie Foxx. And he described how when he was growing up to become an actor, his grandmother raised him. And she, she made him take pianos, classical piano lessons. These, are, these skills that he's gaining are feathers in his cap. And... And I felt that way about being a mask dance. If I could learn how to walk on my hands, if I could learn how to ride a unicycle, uh, do balloon animals, things of that uh, that are targeted towards being a mascot, then I could reach that, the next level. And so building your skills, if you're going to practice something, practice it one day a week. Practice it 15, 15 minutes a day practice those type of things where even though it sounds like a small amount then eventually you'll be surprised on how quickly you can gain that skill okay so gaining uh building skills was was be number three um number two would be mindset and and grit and the way to gain the mindset and grit is through reading and it sounds cheesy but um, my current title is manager of literacy programs. So I'm always promoting reading and reading can help you in every step of the way, reading about being a mascot, reading about, um, about anything in life, reading is going to help you get there. And so I'm, it made me happy to hear that, that this book inspired you to read a book. <laughs> so, <laughs> My wife's very happy. Yes, I think that's great. Be, and I think 
reading has helped me in in every step of my journey as well. And so I think reading is is something that's really important. But my number one overall truth would have to be um, a quote that says, luck favors the prepared. Okay. And that, I believe, can cover every single truth on this list because if you are preparing yourself in in any way, whether it's reading, whether it's trying to gain skills, whether it's putting in your dues um, or going where where the gig is, if you're preparing yourself in that aspect, luck is going to ba- bounce your way and is going to jump in your favor. So and it sounds kind of crazy, but I learned that quote from The Incredibles. <laughs> it's so, a great movie. <laughs> uh, Edna Mode said that quote. See, you don't hear that every day. Uh, not just an, you know, a, a Pixar movie quoted, but Incredibles and then Edna Mode. Yeah, as the person, that's great. Yeah, so that's I awesome. luck favors the prepared. She uh, she said that, and that instantly stuck with me because, and for whatever reason, and it's kind of weird. It's not like some prophetic thing from Einstein or, or some amazing philosopher. It's from Pixar, but I also feel like that is um, that goes along with a lot of a lot of things that that you and I prepare for is as a mascot or, and then it can translate to other aspects of, of other people's lives as well. A hundred percent. So before, before I let you go, um, you have to tell us what is, when I've been, we'll say the third dumbest thing you have ever done inside the costume, inside a a costume at all. The third have to be the dumbest, just the third dumbest. (laughs) That's funny. Um, Gosh, let's see. That is, that's pretty, uh, oh, I have to say, no, this would be the dumbest, is that um, at Washington State, we were making an appearance at a grocery store, and the the um, customers were coming in, and we see a big uh, armored truck pull up. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. And... So for some reason, I thought it'd be really funny if I turned my, my fingers into the shape of a gun and, and kind, of, uh, kind of pointed at the vehicle. And uh, yeah, that was not a smart thing to do. So the police officers jumped out and they're like, you better step back and start screaming. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so that was probably the absolute dumbest thing I've ever done. Oh, to be a college student again. Oh gosh, it was yeah, it was ridiculous. So uh, once again, um, your book "Belayed Gratification." Um, I see it's available on Amazon. Anywhere else people can get it? Yes, you can also get it on WarrenPublishing.net. So it's WarrenPublishing.net. So yeah, like I said, amazing book. Um, you sold it to me as it's it's a quick read. It is. Um, it's not a super thick book. It's not Harry Potter, so I didn't get scared of it. Um, uh, it's got pictures, which are my favorite. <laughs> nice. And it's funny because I look at the book and I like totally went college mode and I pull out a highlighter and start highlighting parts in it. Oh, um, I love it. Just because, uh, you know, it's little things because I want to make sure when, when John and I get back together uh, for the podcast that I bring up some of the stuff in here because I think he'd find it um, 
really useful. Um, and I think something like this, this should almost be like, um, you know what? We should say it right here. Mascot U, this should be a required literature for the class. Oh, that would be that'd be fantastic. I would love everybody. That. Every I will I will make a phone call. I'll call some of the guys over there and I will tell them that this is um should be purchased in bulk for each each participant should get a copy of it and it should be required reading. There will be a test at the end of the event. And we'll go from I there. Love, I <laughs> so, love uh, that. That is great. So uh, now I want to do. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I know we've been kind of tossing back and forth trying to get this to happen. Um, mainly, it's on my end because I just I can I don't know what I'm doing most days um, until it's happening or my wife tells me to do it. Um, yes. But this is this was definitely great. Um, a lot of eye opening things. A lot of things that kind of gave me flashbacks. Um, some good, some bad. Um, but. Uh, we had a moment and I appreciated that. So, uh, David, once again, thanks so much for coming on the unsuited interviews. Um, what if people want to keep in touch with you through social media? How can they get a hold of you? Um, I am on Instagram, which I'm, I'm trying to be better at social media. Um, but it is, it is, uh, D 25. So okay, 25 and I'll make sure what, what's 25, 25 for. My football number when I was in high school. <laughs> oh, you're a football player, huh? So how'd that work out? And uh, yeah, I I made it. Well, it worked out in the fact that I made it to the NFL in a different way. Nice. So nice. yeah, I saw that. That's in the book too. Uh, mentioned. And I think you said you were five foot five and like 135 pounds, something like that, soaking wet. Yeah, I was. I was not a big dude. Yeah, I played one season of football, eighth grade for the high school JV team. Decided I didn't like getting hit, and it turns out that that happens a lot in football. So, um, yeah, that that lasted one season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So like, yeah I just don't like getting hit. No, it's <laughs> it can hurt sometimes. Yeah, as well as a lineman too. I'm a big dude, so I was like, yeah, I just don't like getting run into all these times. And of course, uh, my brother was a senior. And so all of the senior football players knew my brother and some were taking advantage of that and like really putting it on me Oh uh, yeah. to be, to be fun that they thought they were being funny. Cause I was Danny's little brother. Um, yeah. Ha ha. That was real funny. Um, so yeah. Um, once again, man, thanks so much for coming on. Um, we'll definitely be in touch. This is something um, I think people need to get a hold of. Um, any plans for a second book or a or third book or fourth? Yes, uh, I, I do plan on putting out some more stuff. Um, my next project, children's picture book, and it's it's all about uh, promoting literacy. So I'm I'm looking to to get that out here, hopefully within the next year, year and a half. And um, so yeah, I'm really excited about that upcoming project. And awesome. Who knows where it goes from there? I'm I'm I plan on trying to do as much as I can. New York Times bestseller. There it is. Set it here first. There it is. It will happen. <laughs> hey, it's uh what's the quote again about being lucky? Luck favors the prepared. See, there it is. All right, yeah. David, I do appreciate it, man. You take it easy and have a great night. All right, thank you, sir. Thanks for having me on. The unsuited interviews.